This is an audio reading from the book Stories from the Messengers, published by Richard Dolan Press and read by the author, Mike Cleland. That's me. I will be reading Chapter 13, titled Between Two Bridges. It is 30 minutes long. Please enjoy. Chapter 13 Between Two Bridges I'm friends with a man who has patiently shared a lot of his experiences. I'm familiar with what he's told me, because I've experienced much of it myself. We share something else, the very common first name Mike. For anonymity, this chapter will only use the first name and the first letter of his last name. Like me, he is also Mike C. Synchronicities are interwoven into this story, and our similar name is the least of it. Mike C. was driving home from work on an afternoon in the early autumn of 2015 in West Springfield, Massachusetts. He had just crossed the Connecticut River on the Memorial Bridge and was merging onto southbound Route 5 when something unusual happened. He said, A huge barred owl almost slammed into my windshield. Its images burned into my mind because it scared the shit out of me. This happened in full daylight in a busy urban area, an unusual time and place to see an owl. Then, a bit less than a half mile further down the road, he looked to his left and saw something even more unusual. He had a clear view of a huge disk hovering over an industrial area known as Bondi's Island. It was a tarnished copper color, roughly 100 feet wide and floating low over the buildings. He watched it slowly rising as the traffic carried him along and soon lost sight of it. This could be just one more account of an owl and a UFO seen within minutes of each other, but it gets even weirder. Mike was listening to the audio of a lecture of mine that he'd grabbed off of YouTube, where I spoke about owls and UFOs. When I heard this, I replied immediately, Wait, you were listening to me, and you saw an owl, and you saw a UFO? I was astonished. An owl, a UFO, and my voice. He told me this story in a series of frantic back-and-forth messages over the Facebook chat box on September 20th, 2016. It wasn't too long after when I noticed that my message, what I just read above, was time-stamped at 1.23 p.m. 1.23 p.m. I pointed this out to Mike C. in a follow-up message, and he got right back to me with... Dude, I just looked at this message at 11.11 a.m. I had previously met Mike C. at a small conference in Maine in 2016. He bought a copy of my owl book and we talked briefly as I signed it for him. This Facebook correspondence happened a few weeks after we had met in person, and almost exactly a year after his owl and UFO event near the bridge. Mike said, I never picked up on the connection until reading this book. That connection is owls and UFOs, and sometimes myself. Within the pages of that book are repeated accounts of people seeing or hearing owls while watching the video of that lecture, the same one Mike had been listening to while driving south on Route 5. There's one story of a man seeing a UFO out his window while watching this video. I don't understand why or what it means, but I've been interwoven into some of these accounts. I'm not actually present, but my words seem to be. 
On September 30th of 2016, about 10 days after our initial flurry of messages, Mike wrote me about another owl sighting. Dude, remember the Barred Owl, Memorial Bridge, Route 5, and Bondi's Island? This happened at almost the exact same spot. He was stopped in traffic, and looking at the car in front of him, he wrote, This dude had a stuffed owl in his back window. I did not, however, see any UFOs. He took a picture with his phone, and it shows a fluffy little toy owl staring into the camera. Later, he checked the image, and the photo was time-stamped 333. That's 333. These number sequences might be easy to dismiss, but they seem to show up at highly charged moments within the lives of experiencers. The events between the two bridges generated 123, 111, and 333. Mike and I talked a lot on the phone during all this. The UFO sighting was impressive on its own, but we were both overwhelmed by all the synchronicities surrounding that one event. There are more that overlap into the next chapter, and these all seem tied into the same tightly knit web. This is a powerful set of events, and I was involved, or at least my voice was. Because of this, I was fixated on the details of what had happened. I scrutinized maps and did my best to measure the distance between the three points along Route 5. The two owl sightings, one real and the other a toy, took place about a year apart in time and almost exactly a mile from each other in distance. And as best as I can determine, the copper-colored saucer was seen at the halfway point between these two owls. But the one thing that leapt out at me was that, for both owl sightings, Mike had just crossed a bridge. This is meaningful, at least to me. If someone told me they'd had a dream of seeing an owl after crossing a bridge, I wouldn't be tied down to the literal. Instead, I'd be free to interpret the symbolic meaning of both the owl and the bridge. I was at a paranormal conference and had the opportunity to talk with George Hansen and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, two researchers well-versed in esoteric studies. I asked each of them, what is the symbolic meaning of crossing a bridge? They both told me the same thing. A bridge is liminal. It is neither here nor there. It is the netherworld that connects two different places. The Latin word for limen means a threshold. In anthropology, liminality is the disorientation that occurs in the middle stages of a sacred ritual. It's the point where the participant no longer holds their pre-ritual status, but hasn't yet transformed into their post-ritual role. The initiate stands at the threshold between their previous identity and something new. A river can be seen as an obstacle, and crossing it means overcoming a challenge. The road is the path, symbolic of the life journey. In both cases, he had just barely crossed the river, as if the rear wheels of his car were still on the bridge when the owls appeared. I've come to see the details and themes of these experiences as playing out with a sort of dream logic. Instead of asking a pragmatic UFO investigator to make sense of what happened, maybe you should ask a gypsy fortune teller. The skills of a dream interpreter might be better suited to analyze Mike's experiences. I am now at the point where it has become normal to scrutinize reality 
as if it were a dream. I spoke with a woman experiencer who told me that the owl should be seen symbolically in the context of the UFOs. Its role is to announce initiation. I love that phrase, and it fits so well with Mike's owl sighting as he crossed the bridge. About a month later, Mike contacted me with another account from the same stretch of highway. He said, Last Friday, on Route 5, I was passing the landfill after the electrical station on my right. A bag flies into my windshield. It was a wise potato chip bag. It got stuck on my wiper long enough for me to identify it. Wise is a regional brand of potato chips, and their logo is the lone eye of an owl. The wise owl traces back to Athena, the Greek goddess of wisdom, as she is often portrayed with a companion little owl. Also of note, there's a Hooters on Route 5, right near the Memorial Bridge. Again, more owl and goddess imagery. A few weeks before this book went to press, Mike snapped a photo of the car in front of him, again, while on Route 5. The license plate read 333, and it happened at 3.33 p.m. on the winter solstice of 2017. Mike sent me a drawing of two owls to capture what he remembered seeing from his bed as a boy. This illustration depicts two different memories from around the time he was 11 or 12. One is a smaller owl walking back and forth across his desk, something he seems to remember seeing fairly often. The other memory is something he only saw a few times, that of a much larger owl staring at him right up close to the bed. Both owls were blue. My first thought was that these images seemed terrifying, especially the big blue owl up close to the bed. And I asked how he felt. He replied, that never terrified me. Weird, huh? There is a haunting power to this drawing. This is something that I've heard a lot, that people will wake to find an owl staring at them. It might be looking through a window, standing somewhere in the room, or hovering as a sort of holographic apparition. Why an owl, and what it might mean, is at the heart of this mystery. Owls and Orbs Mike wrote to tell me about something that had happened the previous night in his son's room at bedtime, when he was nearly two and a half years old. He said, As I was reading to him, I heard an owl chitter, plain as day. I then saw an orb. And I debated telling you. I pressed for details, and he said it happened while he was rocking his son to sleep in a big reclining chair. As he sat there, he heard owl sounds coming up through the floor right at his feet. Then he looked up to see a faint orb materializing right in front of him, close enough to touch. It was about the size of a golf ball and traveled slowly across the room, then passed through the wall directly across from where he sat. I asked a lot of questions about what had happened. It was tricky to explain verbally, so Mike shot a short video with his phone. It was a handheld point of view as he walked from the hall and into his son's room. He showed the reclining chair and pointed to the spot on the floor as the exact location of the owl sounds. He then described the motion of the orb as it floated up, and he traced its path with his finger to the spot where it passed through the wall. You can hear the tension in his voice as he tries to articulate what he had seen the night before. There's something more. I counted 21 little orbs passing across the frame during this two-minute video.
we both tried to come to terms with what these glowing dots might be. He hadn't used a flash or light on the phone while recording, so there wasn't a light source close to the lens. Perhaps it was nothing more than dust, or maybe tiny insects. But it was mid-December, a time of the year without flying bugs. And the dots didn't have the lazy floating movements of dust particles in an air current. They seemed more frenetic. After we considered a long list of mundane possibilities for what the orbs might have been, he got his phone again. His intention was to try to capture something more on video. The follow-up clip was 1 minute, 29 seconds long, and it opens as he carefully sat down in the reclining chair of his son's room, declaring out loud that he did not want to stir up any dust. After a few moments of sitting still, he began talking to the empty room. He was addressing the orbs themselves, and they seemed to react. Here is a transcription of what he said, along with the time count. At 24 seconds, he said, If that entity is around that oop, he starts asking a question, but before he can complete the sentence, something appears. A slow, graceful orb shows up. He sees it and exclaims, oop. At 31 seconds, he says, Hey there, you kidding me? This seems to be the same orb from seconds before. It floats about mid-screen, fades out, and then reappears just as he says, Hey there. At 36 seconds, he says, Okay, oh, you flash me now? At this point, his voice is playful. An orb zips up from the bottom of the screen at the word okay. Another crosses along the bottom left of the frame at the end of this statement. At 46 seconds, he says, Well, can you do me a favor and do it again? There's an immediate tiny flash, as if an answer to his request. Right in the moment, he was aware that these little dots of translucent light were performing in response to his words. But after watching the video multiple times, I realized it was more than that. These small orbs were appearing before he could finish his question, so it's less a reaction and more a simultaneous event. In both videos, he was only seeing the orb activity on the screen of his phone. This was unlike the night before, when he had seen one with his own eyes. The specks of light in those videos could be easily dismissed as nothing at all, but the timing is curious. I am cautious to declare anything, but I can't help feel those little orbs were consciously interacting with Mike. It was both obvious and playful. Another thing was that these videos were shot for me, as if these little orbs were appearing for both of us. Again, this might seem pompous, but I cannot separate myself from the mystery. When Mike and I speak on the phone, we end up talking over and interrupting each other. We've both been struggling with the same thing. How do you actually deal with this weirdness? It's one thing to see a UFO, but it's something altogether more oppressive to get inundated with non-stop synchro weirdness. He was overwhelmed and he said so. Then he asked if I had any advice. I suggested that he might just ask the phenomenon to back off. I told him what I did when it got too overwhelming for me. There was a point in 2009 when I was seeing so many owls that I needed to find a way to dial it down. It was simply too much. I walked into the woods alone and stated out loud that I would no longer pay attention to just any owl. 
seeing an owl off in the distance in a tree or on some fence post did not count. I declared to the universe that I would only pay attention if an owl crossed my path. A few days later, after making this plea, I was riding my bike through my little hometown at twilight. While coasting down the middle of the street, I noticed an owl perched on a telephone line off to my left. As I got closer, it dropped down, flying slow and smooth, passing right in front of me at eye level. Then it floated up and landed gracefully in a tree on the other side of the street. I had a few more sightings exactly like this in the weeks that followed and each time the owl would blatantly cross my path, as if demanding my attention. It seems that someone heard my plea. Mike got back to me a few days after our phone call and said, Dude, I just tried something and got some success. He told me what he had done. A lot of little signs had been piling up in his life, but it wasn't enough. He needed something more definitive. So he went out into the backyard and stood alone facing the woods at the edge of his property. He spoke out loud, It's not enough. Immediately, an owl hooted in the tree off to his left. He said, Really? Then there was a slow, eerie hooting coming from the tree right in front of where he stood. He told me, A couple of seconds later, I saw a bright flash at eye level a little to the left of the tree where I'd heard the ominous hooting. Seeing as I might have inadvertently insulted someone, I apologized and then said thank you. He snapped a few photos with his phone, aiming at the sight of the flash and the hooting. He sent me three images. Each showed a rural yard at night. Looking closer, one had a swooping pale blur across the lower part of the frame. At first glance, the other two images didn't have anything worth noting. Yet after adjusting the brightness and contrast, each had a thin, straight line of dim light. We considered that these lines might be the motion of an insect caught in the picture. The problem was that this was a cool spring night in April in New England. A weather check said it was in the low 60s in his town, making bugs seem highly unlikely. Trying to examine photos and videos within this research can be problematic. There might be an odd blur or speck in a picture connected to an unusual event. Sometimes these pictures are burdened with an emotional neediness, and I've seen people get very convinced that they've caught something paranormal when it might be nothing at all. To his credit, Mike has been even keeled about the photos and videos. He's mindful to consider the more likely causes. These experiences are often fraught with both paranoia and an eagerness to see alien clues everywhere. There might be a mundane explanation, but it's difficult to know for sure. The Call of the Eastern Screech Owl People will often contact me with their owl experiences, asking if I've ever heard of anyone else with the same story. This is tricky to answer because it's rare to hear the exact same account, yet it's common to hear a story with the same flavor or mood. Here's a similar story involving Suzanne Chancellor, and it was through the twists and turns of these events that I actually met Mike C. Suzanne and her partner Jack had both been hearing an odd, high-pitched whinny sound outside their bedroom window. They heard it a lot for over a year. After some online research, Jack thought it was most likely a baby raccoon. 
Months later, Suzanne found a website with various owl sounds posted within the article. When she clicked on the call of the eastern screech owl, she realized that's what they'd been hearing. A few nights later, Suzanne heard the noise again and went outside in hopes of recording the audio on her phone. She told me, I was going to record it to share it with you so you could hear what I've been hearing. Suzanne clearly heard two owls communicating to each other from adjoining trees in her neighbor's yard. She described what happened as she approached the closest tree. I suddenly saw an orange light sphere orb thing. It appeared right where I was looking. It blinked on and blinked out. Then the hooting stopped. She said, it looked like an orange flashlight shining through the leaves of the tree. It was pretty high up, maybe 30 feet. It was a bright orange light, about the size of an orange. She waited a while, but never found the source of the light. After the flash, the owls remained silent. Susan told me this story in the days leading up to a small UFO conference in Maine. I was to be one of the speakers and wanted to include this story in my talk. I added a nice photo of her and Jack to my PowerPoint presentation. Then I found an audio clip of an eastern screech owl and played it for her over the phone. She confirmed this was what she'd been hearing, both out her bedroom window and just before the orange flash in her neighbor's tree. I needed to download the audio from the birding website and onto my PowerPoint document. This should have been easy, but something wasn't working. I stayed up late trying to get that owl call into the presentation, but couldn't. My partner Andrea and I would be getting up early to travel from upstate New York to the conference in Portland, Maine. I was frustrated and eventually gave up. I went to bed knowing there would be a long drive in the morning. My sleep was fitful, and it seemed like the sun was rising far too soon. I was in that half-awake state when I was jolted by the sound of an eastern screech owl right outside the bedroom window. It was unmistakable. I'd listened to the same call dozens of times the night before while attempting to load it onto the presentation. Andrea heard it too and blurted out, Was that an owl? I said it sure was. I got out of bed and opened the window and tried to listen for more. We heard it just once and that was the one and only time I've heard that call coming from a real owl and not a recording. The message was clear. I had to figure out a way to plug that audio into the presentation. I went to my desk and tried a few things, but nothing was working. I finally played the audio on my laptop while holding the microphone up to my desktop. This was the only way I could manage to get that audio transferred. The next day, I stood in front of the audience and gave my presentation. I told the story of Suzanne trying to record the owl sound and seeing an orange flash in a tree. To accentuate the story, I played the eerie whinny of an eastern screech owl to a full room of UFO enthusiasts. I hadn't met him yet, but Mike C. was in the room. And when he heard that sound, he nearly fell out of his chair. A year later, at that same conference, he walked up to me and told me about his emotional reaction to the recorded owl calls in my presentation. He nervously explained that he had heard the same eerie sound coming out of the baby monitor that had been set up in his son's room. This is scary stuff, and my heart sank hearing it. 
I've listened to parents struggling to describe the fear that their child might be involved with this phenomenon. Within this research, this is the one thing I find most challenging. How can I offer any solace to a parent with these kinds of worries? The emotions are unsettling, and I have no meaningful advice. There was very little I could say to Mike. I wrote about these emotions on page 41 in The Messengers. I wrote, Parents will explain that their children are telling them about big owls that come into their bedrooms at night. Most of these giant owl stories are part of a larger narrative, one that includes UFO sightings or an outright abduction. Mike later took a photo of this page, circled the quote above, and posted it on a UFO group page on Facebook. That picture, and the synchronicities surrounding it, plays an important role in the next chapter. This story began with the call of an eastern screech owl outside Suzanne's window and looped around until I woke up hearing that same call. All of this eventually connected me with Mike. What struck me about these two stories was that Mike and Suzanne were both in their yard at night trying to record an owl. Suzanne tried to capture audio on her phone, and Mike tried to get a photo. And they were both doing it for me. I feel a powerful responsibility, not just to them, but to all the people reaching out to me. During the writing of this chapter, Suzanne had been in her backyard sitting around the fire at night with Jack and their dog. She saw a curious orange dot in one of the trees at the edge of her yard. It was a small glowing point of light about the size of a marble, and she watched it for about 40 seconds. Her first thought was that it was something in the sky behind the tree, perhaps an airplane. But it was windy, and anything seen through the moving leaves and branches would have flickered. She considered it might have been a firefly, but it was too large, motionless, and an orange-yellow color, unlike the typical pulsing green glow of a firefly. A little while later, she saw a nearly identical orange dot in another tree. After a moment, she and Jack both heard the loud whinny of a screech owl coming from the closer of the two trees. She got out her phone and tried to record the call, and as she approached the tree, she realized there was a second owl hooting from the other tree where she had seen the second dot of light. These two owls seemed to be communicating with each other. Though obviously not the same exact thing, Suzanne's story of owls and orbs in her yard has a very similar flavor to what Mike described. Wake them up. Like me, Mike talks very fast, and during one of our phone conversations, he sort of slipped in the line, I was told to wake people up. I barely caught it and interrupted, Wait, who told you that? He replied cautiously, Um, uh, you know who. I needed to hear more. Was this in a dream? Or was it a real event? He said, It was at night, but I wasn't asleep. I heard my son stirring and got up to go to the bathroom. I opened my bedroom door and saw a four-foot blue-gray being in the hall. I got in my head, Wake them up. And then I watched as it gently slid to my left and through the wall. He knew exactly what that message meant, that people are sleepwalking, and he needed to do something to wake them up. He said, 
It's as if I saw the words and saw the world at the same time. Mike has been using Facebook as a platform for this newfound purpose. Some of the postings have an urgent undertone, and you can sense his amped-up emotions. He explained his frustrations with mainstream UFO research and its focus on sighting reports. He said, There are occupants in those craft, and that's the real story, and it's being ignored. They're talking about objects and not about communication. Facebook is a curious place to try and change the world. Here's the text from one of his posts. Everything that is happening right now is a result of my wanting to better myself. The visitors knew I wanted to change. When they knew I was open, they began the awakening. I've spoken with Mike extensively and also followed him on Facebook. He's been hit with a lot in the last two years since we've met, and I sense he's on an edge. Some of these experiences get brushed off as mundane, and at the same time it's clear that he's been struggling. This conflict isn't buried, it's right on the surface. Things happen that most people would rather ignore or deny, and coming to grips with these issues might only generate confusion and doubts. Trying to make sense of these experiences can be terribly difficult. I've listened to Mike describe the intensity of some of what's happened, and I'm at a loss to offer up much. Here's an example of what he's been experiencing. It was the middle of the day, and he saw a small, orange being looking in through his kitchen window. He ran out the door and watched it running for the edge of the yard. Then it just faded away. Not too long after, he was in the backyard with his son when he saw a gray being at his bedroom window, but this time it was inside the house, looking out at them. He ran in the house, but there was nothing. Both these sightings seemed terrifying, and I asked if he was frightened. He said again, None of this stuff has ever been scary. It might not be scary for him, but I sense it's a lot more intense than seeing 333 on a license plate. He was told to wake people up by a telepathic being in his hallway, and then he started doing exactly that. This could be seen as a sinister order meant to deceive, or as an important message meant to help humanity. Mike is a healthcare worker, and he is helping people. There is nothing about him that is new agey or fluffy. He's intense, compassionate, and doing the hard work to help people. At the same time, he's working to heal the world. Here's the text of one of his Facebook posts. I have been trying to make waves, waves of awakening. That was an audio reading from a soon-to-be-published audiobook, Stories from the Messengers, You have just heard Chapter 13, read by the author, Mike Cleland. That's me. The paperback or Kindle version of the book is easily available either through the internet or from my website. The book was published by Richard Dolan Press in February of 2018. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.